Well, we, we're picking up back up in our series in 1 Peter. It's hard to believe we're already in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're on the home stretch in this book that we began at the beginning of the year, uh, focusing on hope for everyday life. And especially today, we're going to see hope, uh, especially for shepherding while, while suffering. You know, this is one of those pas- passages where it feels kind of weird. It's a passage to pastors. And so it's like I'm preaching to myself. And part of me was like, it's going to be weird. Should I just have, you know, Pastor Ross and, and Pastor Griner just sit here and the rest of the congregation kind of over there and just sort of amen as I go through, as I'm just speaking directly to them? Because that's sort of what it feels like. I'm, I'm speaking to myself very much this morning. Um, and, and so if you see myself sweating a little bit, getting hot, Pastor Reader squirming over in his seat. Uh, it's because uh, this has been a message that's been working on my own heart and life and for us as pastors as well. It very much applies to us uh, particularly. And so I would encourage you to, to turn in your Bible to First Peter chapter 5. That's on page 182. Page 182 in the back section of the, the Bible in the chair in front of you. I want you to turn there. And while you're turning there, I want you to uh, sort of imagine why, why is it so important that we talk about and that Peter would address pastors specifically in times of suffering. You know, this is only one of uh, one other place in Scripture in the book of Acts are specifically elders directly addressed, called out beyond just the overall addressing of the letters to the churches in a lot of the letters. So here's an example of one of the scriptures where sometimes it specifically calls out husbands, it calls out wives, it calls out children. Uh, One of the few passages in the New Testament that specifically addresses pastors. And so in the context of suffering in the letter of Peter, I think it's rather important that we ask, why is Peter addressing pastors? And why is pastoring so important in the context of suffering? Well, I just want to illustrate two stories uh, just to sort of paint a picture for you the, the blessing that pastors are to be. One, to encourage my own heart of this is one of the purposes that I have in suffering as a pastor, but then also the encouragement for you as a believer to consider what is the blessing of pastoral leadership in my life? Apparently God says the chief shepherd, the one who controls all things, has decided in his wisdom and care to entrust shepherds to local churches and bodies. In what ways is this is a blessing? So let me just paint you a picture here. So imagine there's a Christian family who recently moved to the area. They're, they're not members of a local church. They moved a number of months ago. They've never really prioritized getting involved into a local church. And so they sort of just continue on, sort of life as normal and the new careers and the new jobs and the new location that they're in. And so they really aren't known by pastors yet. They're not known by a local church. Maybe they attended somewhat regularly. Then all of a sudden they go through one of the most difficult situations of their life. Maybe there was already challenges in their marriage. And now being in a new area, being in a new circumstances, start to sort of bring out some of these concerns that are going on. And then while this is happening, they receive very difficult news that their spouse was given a very difficult medical diagnosis. Immediately, it's going to impact life with their kids, priorities, child care situation, finances, and all this just begins to feel overwhelming for this new couple. And so this, these Christians begin to think, what do we do? Well, they go, well, we've heard wonderful messages from this pastor that we listen to on our podcast every week and our drive to work. You know, I've been following their YouTube channel. I've been reading their books. I'm going to call them. I'm going to call this pastor that I know so well, that I've been listening to. Surely they're going to help and surely they're going to care. Well, it just so happens this pastor's in another state, doesn't live where they're at. This pastor's never personally met them, right? So you imagine how this goes. 
this member calls this pastor of this other local church in another state who has a radio program or YouTube channel and begins telling them their story. They try to write a letter. They try to message them on social media. And with each contact, the pastor thinks, who is this person? I've never been to Lafayette, Indiana in my life. I've never met them. They should go and talk with their local pastor in their area about their concerns. And then the pastor gives it no more thought. The pastor never responds again. He did not take a flight from the other state to be with them through their time of suffering. He didn't marshal support from the local church to come and help them. He was unwilling to meet with them each week to help them work through things in their marriage. So that's one couple. It's a rather different experience of pastoral leadership, right? But then imagine that there's another Christian couple. This Christian couple became members of a local church. They communicated regularly with their pastor. Their pastor knew them, got to spend time with them in the local church, proactively got to serve with them in all sorts of opportunities, loving and serving in the body of Christ together. And so similarly, in their marriage, as we may all do, they begin to struggle and some things begin to surface. And when, when this happens, all of a sudden an accident at work that the spouse was unable to work and puts pressure on their marriage and family, this Christian calls their local church pastor. The pastor responds to their email within a day or so, arranged to schedule a meeting with them. As he heard about the challenges, he immediately contacted the deacons to arrange for financial assistance to immediately be provided to meet the most pressing needs for the family. Then the pastor reached out to their small group that he knew they were in. And he began to contact them and say, you know, there's opportunities here that we need to provide help with meals, help for childcare. And within one week, both the couples are beginning to experience immediate relief and having time to work through things in their marriage with their pastor. Again, I want you to consider how different these experiences would be for believers going through suffering. One, the blessing it is to be able as a pastor to shepherd and care for people in those types of circumstances as a local pastor, it's like a dream for me. I mean, that, those are the type of ministry opportunities that excite pastors to, to be able to come and help. But, but at the same time, you begin to illustrate what a gift that pastoral leadership, God says, is a blessing for your spiritual well-being in your life. And especially pastors are especially helpful in times of suffering, and they're a gift to the church in this way. And so I hope it encourages you. Submitting ourselves to local leadership is under ultimately the leadership of the Lord is a great blessing to our life. And so with that in mind, turn in First Peter chapter 5 is what we're talking about, hope for everyday life. We're picking up last week where Pastor Oakwin, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Oakwin had left off reminding us not to be surprised by testing. Everybody's going to be tested. Don't be surprised by it, right? And, and pastors don't get an automatic pass to the test of suffering. Pastors suffer too. And, and this is where I think Peter is especially concerned. He knows that of all people, how much suffering often puts, especially suffering, puts the target on pastors' backs, so to speak. They're often the first to experience the blowback or consequences of suffering in a hostile culture. And they often have the target as well on their back as well within the church and by those outside the church. And so it can be very difficult, especially to shepherd faithfully when suffering begins to press upon people. And so that's what we're focusing on this morning is shepherding while suffering. So follow along as I begin in chapter 5, verse 1 from the, the word of the Lord this morning. God says, Therefore... I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God 
among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we're looking at shepherding while suffering, and when the time remaining, let's look for three ways that the pastor can serve the church uh, through suffering. First, God has called pastors, it's very clear, to, to lead the church. And this is one of the ways that the pastor loves and serves those under suffering. And he can't shrink from this responsibility when suffering comes in his own life. Leading itself is challenging enough, but leading others when they are suffering and when you are personally suffering makes the responsibility more daunting. And I think Peter has this in mind. He understands of all people the challenges that pastors are not immune to the suffering. I am tempted to respond sinfully just like you are tempted to respond sinfully when you are not treated unfairly. And this is why we need, again, our, our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, to help us to respond in a godly way at times when it can be even challenging for pastors to shrink back from faithfully discharging their duties. And so it's in the fiery ordeals, it's in the trials, it's in the suffering that Peter especially wants to encourage pastors that you have a unique opportunity and role to be an example to the flock for how the whole church then is going to respond to this fiery ordeal and suffering that's going to come to you. And what I love is that Peter first, knowing these pastors, knowing the, the challenges of leadership, he doesn't just come right out of the gate and says, do this. Instead, he begins to sort of unpack and remind how he can identify with them in their pains, in the struggles, in the difficulties, that he's well acquainted with the unique challenges that pastoral leadership can bring. And so he really draws upon his own credentials to really sort of draw them in before he begins to exhort them to do what is God requires of them. Notice he says he's a fellow elder. That's the first, right? I'm, I'm a fellow elder. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And then the third, he's a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. And so when Peter says and appeals to them that he's a, a fellow elder, when Peter addresses them as elders and he talks about himself as an elder, he doesn't mean that they're just super old. Um, he, he's referring to those who serve in the office of elder or, or pastor. The, the church office of pastor or elder can be used interchangeably in the scriptures and it refers, though, to the same office of leadership in the church. So here at Faith Church, we use the title pastor. And pastor, sort of that title, emphasizes the shepherding aspect of the role of the office of elder. Um, but we are also bishops. You may have heard that term. Or elders. Some of you affectionately call me Bishop Burke. You're not wrong to use that title. It means the same thing. But the, the point being... These are interchangeable terms referring to one same office. As an example, you're going to see all three of these terms, sort of the idea of overseer or bishop or elder or pastor. You can see it in even just one passage, Acts 20. Here, this is where Paul begins to address the elders of the church in Ephesus. And Paul says he called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you 
overseers. There's that word, bishop. And then you are to shepherd, pastor the flock of God. And so in this same passage, we're going to see Peter says, elders, shepherd, not lording, but overseeing, exercising authority, overseeing, bishop, right? And so we see these three words sort of used all interchangeably with this same office. And so as Faith Church, we believe that only qualified men can serve in the office of pastor. And these character qualifications in men are listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We see, for example, 1 Timothy 3.1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man desires the office of overseer, bishop, um, he desires, right? This is a, is a good thing. It's a fine work he desires to do. Or Titus chapter 1, for this reason I left you, Timothy, in Crete, that you would set in order things remain. Appoint elders. There's elders. And what is he to be? A, a man who is above reproach, the husband of one wife. And so Peter is a, is a fellow elder, and he served as one of the elders in the early church. And if you know the history of the first church in Jerusalem, the early church was immediately persecuted. And immediately as Peter begins to spread the good news of Jesus Christ as one of the leaders in the early church, immediately he's the one who's getting put into prison. When in Acts, that's Acts chapter 4, you can read about that. In Acts chapter 12, it mentions how James, the brother of John, is put to death by Herod. And immediately Herod, after killing James, says, go find other Christians. No, he says, go find Peter. Let's put him into prison. And so Peter's well acquainted that when you're pastoring and suffering, often as a church, the leaders are the first to go after. And he understands this for the pastors and basically encouraging them, I understand what, how difficult it is when there's persecution and there's struggles going on that you're going to be one to shrink back at times. And we, we understand Peter's testimony when the Savior, Jesus Christ, was heading into suffering. What was Peter's first response? denying, right? Not wanting to associate with the sufferings of Christ. And so Peter's well aware of, I think, the temptation. It is so tempting to shrink back when it's your neck out on the line. And so Peter highlights his credentials that he also was one who has bared witness to the sufferings of Jesus. Uh, And I love that. Before Peter gets into sort of, here's what you do, pastor, he's reminding them, I want you first to think about the sufferings of Jesus that I witnessed. Remember our chief shepherd. Remember the one who'd gone before you. He was a sufferer in this world and in this life. And so don't shrink back from what he's called you to. And this is something, this theme has been something Peter's been highlighting throughout. This is for all believers who are to be reminded of regularly and considering regularly the sufferings of Jesus in our life to put in context our own sufferings. Remember what Peter said in verse 2, 21? He says, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And so Peter's going to basically say, look at the sufferings of Christ. He's an example for you to follow in his steps. And then you pastors as under shepherds are going to be an example to the church as well for how they follow in his steps through suffering. He committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not return, revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. And so the sufferings of Jesus has been a constant reminder to the believers throughout the letter that their Savior can identify with them in their sufferings. 
And then the final credential he mentions again is this idea of focusing on the coming glory of Jesus. A fellow partaker of the sufferings of Christ leads to you as a Christian knowing that you're going to partake, you're going to share in the glory. Just as you share in Christ's sufferings, you're going to share in the glory of the coming of Jesus. Again, mid-trials, these elders are encouraged to keep their attention and the attention of the church on the coming glory of Jesus and the joy that they're going to experience when he returns. That's what we were singing about even this morning, right? Reminding ourselves of the joy and the glory when Jesus returns at his second coming. This is what Peter encouraged them earlier. Prepare your minds. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you, the kindness that's going to be brought to you, believers, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter identifies with these elders. He draws them in and says, I understand, I understand, I understand, look. And and now he's going to say, but here's what God calls you to. Shepherd the flock. Lead the flock. And that's the imagery he talks about church leadership. So God is saying, yes, pastors, your responsibility is to lead. But how are you to lead? You're to lead like a shepherd. You're to shepherd the flock of God. And God usually describes leading the church through this biblical imagery of shepherd caring for the sheep. And so it's important for us, for those of us who've never had sheep before, never been a shepherd before, we really kind of have to unpack and think about that this imagery and all the things associated with it sort of informs the principles that leaders in the church are going to exercise toward the church family. And so we're compared to sheep because sheep are needy, sheep are dependent. They're on the care of their shepherd. They need it every day. You know, as one writer, Philip Keller, mentions in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, he says this, that it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings are similar in many ways. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. And then here's sort of my life story. They require more than any other class of livestock endless attention and meticulous care. That describes my life. My wife would be, Amen. Caring for sheep often involves the activities such as watching over the safety of the sheep, protecting them from danger like wolves or predators or a harmful situation. And so as you think about this imagery, God is using this imagery to communicate truth about him and his ways toward his people. It's just beautiful. And you see this throughout the scriptures over and over and over again. God is using this imagery to describe his relationship to his people. Like, think of the time where God just demonstrated shepherd-like protection with his people. Like, when the the people of Israel went into and they saw these nations around them, these enemies that looked so great and so massive and so much stronger, and God describes it like he's a shepherd pleased to bring them into this good land. He's a shepherd who wants to give them a land filled with milk and honey. That's milk and honey is the, the fruit. It's something that people who are in a pasture society enjoy as a product of the land. That's not like an agrarian farming term. That's a nomadic term of produce of the land, what would excite you as a shepherd. And again, so we see this imagery is implied in God is leading his people as a people who are a nomadic shepherd-like people to a land of promise. But notice he says their protection is the Lord. 
right? Versus the nations, their protections being removed from them. Or are God leading and guiding his people through difficult terrain to what is good is sort of what a shepherd does for the sheep. And God describes this is like what he did for his people as he leads them through very difficult circumstances and situations in their life. Like when God led the people through the wilderness to be tested and every day provided them manna from heaven. I mean, this is an amazing care. He makes bitter waters sweet in order order to provide and care for his people. I mean, he's a shepherd like no other in his provision, but he leads them through these difficult terrains so that their things don't wear out and he cares for them all the way. And so the psalmist talks about this type of leading. He led them forth his own people like sheep. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so that they did not fear, but the sea engulfed their enemies, referring to the Egyptians. But then this imagery of good pasture and clean water for the sheep to eat and drink and grow is picked up in the Psalms in all sorts of ways. That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So the provision and the, the providing good sustenance for the sheep to grow and to be filled and to be at peace and not at fear is a part of this. But then there's also the element of a, our God's love is a love that goes after the lost, goes after those who are in a condition that is in danger. And so that's maybe how you're feeling. I feel lost. I don't know consequences are happening in my life, and I don't know why all this is happening. And God is saying, part of maybe the reasons I feel lost, part of what's happening in my life may be because I don't know God. I don't know God's care. I don't, I'm turning away from God in every area of my life. And yet the God's response to that in our sin, even though like sheep, we all go astray. All of us turn away from the Lord. God's response is like a, a good shepherd. He goes after the lost. He pursues you in his love. And he want, desires to bring you back into his family. And this is, again, a perfect picture that we see in passages like Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as the shepherd cared for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep. So I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they scattered on a cloud and gloomy day. Binding up, caring, caring for the sheep is another way. Helping those who are hurt and broken and needy. Like Isaiah forty eleven. like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them. I just love the imagery of the, the closeness and the intimacy in his bosom. And he will gently lead the nursing ewes. So as we see this biblical imagery, then we have to begin to think of, okay, what does that, how is that applied to the pastor's office? Because I don't have a staff. Right? I'm not dressed in with clubs like a shepherd. And so what does this look like in, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in, in the church? And we see this imagery applied in some specific ways, especially in regards to the feeding imagery. How does the shepherd, how does a pastor, how does an elder feed? Well, it's primarily through the teaching. The, the, the word is what nourishes and helps us to grow, as we saw. Don't long just for spiritual milk, but the word that, that builds up and strengthens you. And so some of the, the feeding imagery is going to be like teaching the word, the protecting imagery, guarding the flock, right, from false teaching. So this imagery informs everything about the pastor's tasks. And you may be asking, why is a shepherd's care needed for my life? Why do I need, I can take care of myself. Why is a shepherd's care needed? Well, see, God knows that when we experience sufferings in our life and do not have the care of pastors and the ultimate care of our good shepherd, Jesus, 
and we choose to not respond well to the sufferings and the trials, we all end up becoming a little bit like Chris. We go, who's Chris? Some of you may be Chris, and you're like, me? Meet Chris the sheep. So if you were to look at Chris the sheep and say, does Chris need a shepherd? You would immediately go, that looks horrible. That looks painful. Like, how, what do you, how do you live life like that? That's, that's the imagery of dependence, care. My very existence depends on, right? The sheep have been domesticated where they actually have to have a shepherd shear them. Otherwise, they look like that. And God has made you and I to require daily need and care of God in our life. And part of the way he daily cares for us and provides and cares for you is through under-shepherds, pastors in the church that are going to care for you spiritually. You know, as you think about Chris's mobility, it was incredibly impaired. It, you know, it, for over more than five years, he hadn't been sheared. And, and there's a degree in which, right, some people, that's kind of how their spiritual life is like. It's like for five years, they have not been cared for by a shepherd. They haven't been maybe a part of a local church, haven't been growing, haven't been spiritually nourished. And as a result, their mobility, your ability to serve God and love others is greatly impacted and hindered. And not only that, he was in great risk of infection and injury. You're actually put in a more vulnerable place if you don't have shepherds. And do you see the Christian life as something living in community with believers and shepherds, that this is actually part of your protection? It's part of your care, that you're actually in a a more dangerous and difficult position if you don't have those looking after you. And just look at the the picture of the before and after. I want to be Chris without the 80 pounds of wool that was shaved off of me, right? Right? And so the the imagery as a church member, to the degree that we follow the command of our great shepherd and good shepherd to obey and submit to leaders in the church, you're going to profit much and be blessed. And that doesn't mean necessarily that, again, we're going to get to the aspect of there's maybe ways leaders sin. There may be ungodly shepherds, but that doesn't make God's good design of shepherds for the church. And when it's functioning in the way that God desires, it's a blessing to your life. It's a good thing for your spiritual growth. And, and Hebrews thirteen seventeen mentions this. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Right? So you go to look at Chris and you say, it was very profitable for Chris, right, to have the shepherd in his life and to be sheared. And, and do I feel the same way about pastoral leadership in my life? When a pastor may be encouraging me in areas that I can grow that may be good for my spiritual well-being and maturity, how do I respond to those things? Is your first response, oh, this pastor doesn't, this is just a burden for my life? Or do I see it through the lens of, no, this pastor has actually my best in heart in mind, right? my well-being spiritually in mind. That's maybe why he's asking me to meet with me for lunch and talking about my family and how we're doing. It's because he really wants to know and be in a position to help you care well for your family and help you through this trial, right? Why, why is he asking me to serve in that way? Because he actually knows there's going to be a great joy and blessing to your life maybe if you serve in this specific way, right? And so looking to our leaders from the lens of this is profitable for me. It's a good gift. God gives us pastors as gifts and blessings to the church, And on a whole, I just want to 
thank our, our church family as a whole. You know, all of us pastors, I think, would say it's a delight. It's a privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. We have a wonderful church family, by and large, again, very supportive of church leadership. You know, there's opportunities where as the church is mentioning needs and concerns and we plan together, and then as the church we're saying, okay, it seems like we need to, to lead and care for the church in this way. And then so it's just, I mean, the church swells around supporting. I mean, we think about the strategic ministry plan this last year. I mean, that's because so much of our church family just wants to serve. And I want to thank you for that. And then at times what I love, too, is our church family feels like they can communicate biblically, meaning if I sin against you, if there's something I did that offend you, uh, it's so great to have the type of relationship where you can call me. You can set up a meeting with me. You can meet with me and bring up concerns, and we can handle problems in a way that honors the Lord, knowing this is from a heart of, of care for one another. But as one of the, the pastors, each of these aspects, as I prepare and even think about this message, this is, I take these commands seriously. I think a lot about the responsibility I have for shepherding the souls of people. And, but there's always still room for me to grow. And I think all of our pastors would say, why is it so important that it's not just me that I hear these commands, but the whole church and all these churches would hear the commands for what pastors are to do? Well, part of the reason for you as a church is the way you care for your pastors by making sure that they're living according to these ways. Because it's for the whole well-being of the body of Christ. And so it's important that you understand what a pastor is, what his roles and responsibilities are to do, and how is he to do this, so that if you see myself or others living inconsistent to these ways, you would love us enough to come and confront us. You would love us enough to challenge us according to the authority of God's word. This is what our chief shepherd says. And you as an under-shepherd are not living in consistent ways with the chief shepherd. And so this is part of your responsibility as members of the local body. But let's put into practice specifically, what, what are some of the ways that we as pastors are seeking to accomplish these things? Well, feeding the sheep. Sunday morning is one way that you're fed, you're nourished in God's word, right? And you're growing spiritually in that way. But we try to provide regular opportunities for being uh, growing in your knowledge and your understanding and application of God's word for your spiritual growth. Think of Wednesday night, Faith Community Institute classes. There's a whole host of classes on all sorts of areas of God's word that are to strengthen and to mature you in your faith. And so how are you responding to these feeding opportunities like small groups or point man groups or personal counseling? We had have, we have just a wonderful men's uh, event recently, but men's and women's focused opportunities for teaching and for instruction. These are, are set up, and again, not, it's not the pastors, we don't micromanage in every ways, but in a lot of ways we're leading to make sure that these ministries are provided for our church so that you're fed and you're growing. But to what degree are you responding to those? Think about protecting the sheep. How does, how does a pastor do that? Well, one practically is refuting false teaching. So if I hear false teaching and somebody teaching something that's false, I'm going to call them out on it if they're telling that. Or uh, one way we protect the sheep is actually through our intro to faith class, meaning we're trying to guard and protect to make sure only those who come part of our church family are those who truly know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that there's been a time in their life where they've been made new, they've repented and turned away from the sins, and they experience forgiveness and mercy, trusting in Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection for new life, and they're now wanting to walk in that newness of life, and there's evidence of new spiritual life in their life. And that's what we're looking for. We, it, it protects and guards the health and the purity of our body to make sure that only those who are really part of Jesus' sheep are led into the church. But church discipline is also the other aspect on the other side. Those who may profess and seem at first to look like sheep, 
in time, right, may not live lives consistent with what God's word says. And so part of our responsibility as a church family, as a church, right, is to guard and to protect when people are not living consistently. Church discipline is part of that process, again, for protecting. But there's other ways we seek to do this, too. We think of the recent SB 350, Senate Bill 350. What were we trying to do? A lot of ways protect the advance of the gospel and our ministries in the local church to those who are hurting to be prevented from local government intrusion. But leading the sheep can also look like, think of um, opportunities like our strategic ministry planning process. So the church brings and prays and brings up initiatives, but then somebody in some ways has to direct and lead people. What are we going to then do to apply and meet these needs? Right? And that's one way practically we seek to lead. But then caring for the sheep, what does that look like? What should a pastor do when he talks about caring for the people? Well, prayer, prayer for the sick. So as pastors, we regularly also visit those who are in the hospital or suffering. Uh, Caring for the sheep looks like hospitality. You know, one of the requirements of an elder is that they are hospitable to the stranger and the foreigner, and they're welcoming and inviting to people. And so do we exercise hospitality in our own lives? Deacons care, making sure that we're leading our our deacons in their role in office to care for the practical needs of the local church. But then even soul care, just like counseling, mentoring, are specific ways that we're seeking to care for each Uh, of the people that God has entrusted to us. But notice the second part of that command. Shepherd the flock of God among them. Meaning a pastor has a specific pastoral oversight for the members of Faith Church here. Meaning there's this local fold of believers and I'm to focus my job, my primary attention and care for shepherding your souls. Not primarily the believers in China or Japan or Indianapolis or Southern California where I grew up. God has raised up pastors in those local churches for the same purpose. And this is a significant implication. Is one is the blessing of knowing you have somebody who's actually really focused on your care and your soul in ways that no other pastors around the world will usually be focused in caring about your soul or giving time or thought about you even at all. And so one of the blessings then is your pastors in a lot of ways are going to be, have these general principles that we're seeing, but they're pastoring in very particular and sort of tailor-made things for our local church. And the danger that you can have is as you look at pastoring is to think it's sort of this one-size-fits-all approach, and it's not. So there's a sense in which people in California and the pastors, as they address some things like when COVID, they should maybe have responded differently than what we're doing here. Right? Or pastors in China and how they're responding in their context should be different than how we respond here. And the danger that we can have as believers is sort of to compare one type of pastoring to another as if one is more faithful than the other. And I think this passage is really challenging us. Be on guard. No, the pastor's responsibility is for their own flock that's among them. And it's going to be very, very distinct from each local church to each local church because of the needs of the individual sheep in that body. And so I might focus on a totally different topic because I'm aware of certain things going on in our church family that nobody else is doing, even though the rest of the nation might say, this is the most important topic. Well, not for our sheep. This is the area they actually need to grow the most and change in. And so this is an important aspect, but are you thankful for the gift that your personal growth that we, the local pastors over you, are going to in some ways tailor make their care for you and encouragement in that way? And one of the joys that this gives me is I have a rightly ordered special love and affinity for you, for this church family, 
in ways I don't have love and care for any other Christians in the world. And that's actually right. It's actually godly. I think it's proper, right, in being a pastor of this local church that I have a rightly ordered affinity for you all in ways that when I go down to Florida or when I go trust, I love these believers, but there's a part of me that says, I miss the sheep. I miss my sheep, right? That's, it's, a, it's a great thing that you have pastors that are given in this way. But so how does the shepherd care for the flock? Not begrudgingly, but willingly, with a willing heart, not under compulsion, right? According to the will of God. Sometimes divine compulsion can be good, like in a positive sense, like 1 Corinthians 9, 16. I'm under compulsion. I must preach the gospel. Here it's negative. Here it's in the sense of like begrudging service. There's not a God-given desire to want to do it for the proper motivation, And so just like Christians should not give finances under compulsion, but willingly and cheerfully out of a love for God's generosity, similarly, pastors love to shepherd voluntarily out of a willing desire because they love the Lord. This is what motivates them. I think of Jesus, the good shepherd, reminding Peter when he restored him in the command to shepherd, what does he emphasize? He says, do you love me, right? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then each time then says, then shepherd, then tend, right? Then care. And I think that's the heart of a shepherd is they're doing this out of love to God and a genuine love for the people. And then the second phrase, it's not for dishonest profit, but it's with eager passion, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. This means a true shepherd should not be in the ministry for the purpose just of benefiting personally through dishonest gain by using people just for their own personal profit. Yes, they should be paid. Yes, they should be taken care of by the church that they are shepherding, but they cannot seek to be in the ministry personally for just profiting dishonestly. Instead, the shepherd is to lead with a passion for the word of God, a love for the people of God, a heart that eagerly wants to serve the Lord and God's people. And so, men, you should not desire to be shepherds merely to make a living, like it's just some other job out there, to make money because you couldn't get a job in another field, and, well, I can guess I'll just be a pastor. Um, I think that's actually contrary to what God's Word would say is the real true motivation for why you desire the ministry. See, Jesus uses the term hireling or a hired hand to describe a man who shepherds in this way. John 10, 11 through 13, right? That he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a, he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. True shepherds should be characterized by specific love and care for why are they shepherding? It's I actually love these people that I get to care for. I love these people. I love to care for these people. That's what motivates them. It has nothing to do ultimately with the money. They love to care for God's people. And I'm so thankful for many of the fellow pastors that I have the privilege to serve with. I see most of these men regularly. They could have pursued careers in other areas where they make lots more money. Um, but they became pastors first because they just loved the Lord and they wanted to be able to better care for God's people. And that's what drove them. And so we serve then with eagerness, with readily, with devotion, with zeal. So there should be creativeness and initiative and giving their best. That should what characterizes godly leadership. And it's also not to control others, but to demonstrate proper living. Not as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. 
And because pastors teach and have authority and admonish and lead, Peter's reminding them that leadership and authority is to be very, very different in God's church. Great men exercise authority over them, Jesus says. But to his disciples, it's not to be this way. It's not to be a a domineering type of leadership that's in the world. And instead, it's to be shown by serving. Serving all by example. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So pastors should seek to, again, show leadership through their example. So cheerfully giving themselves, proactively serving themselves, demonstrating hospitality themselves, leading their family to follow Christ themselves, suffering in their own lives and glorifying God through it, finding ultimate joy in the things of the Lord and modeling that for the body. So this is the pastor's charge. So the way in which he shepherds matters. And you see throughout this section, here's the negative, here's the positive, here's the negative, here's the positive, here's the negative, here's the positive. But then when we do that faithfully, God gives us great encouragement that he's called pastors to lead with an eternity and focus, knowing that the chief shepherd will return. The chief shepherd will return. And when the chief shepherd appears, and for a heart of a true pastor, that is an incredible hope. That's an incredible encouragement. For the heart of somebody who is not pastoring faithfully, I think that phrase scares you. It's fearful. You don't look forward to that thought because you know what a good shepherd does compared to what you do. And this is the part as a, a pastor where when you understand the struggles and the day-to-day and then to know that Jesus, the chief shepherd, understands these things even better than you do. So when he comes and he knows the difficulty to shrink back and you faithfully respond through the suffering and care for the people, Jesus is going to have a great reward. He's going to faithfully care and reward you for what you do. It gives hope. And praise the Lord, the chief shepherd knows the difficulty. And what does he give? The eternal crown. And so that's what we want to be modeling for our church family. Living to obtain an eternal reward is the goal. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. That same word, unfading, was used earlier in 1 Peter, right? Unfading inheritance is what's for all believers. But here's an encouragement for pastors that you need the eternal hope of Christ, the eternal reward that awaits you in his return. And then finally, Peter sort of switches the exhortation to close this section from pastors to pointing others to live in humility as well. Just as pastors are to live and humbly, as servants of all, being a model and example to the flock. But he's also saying, well, you men likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you. So this is a command for all of us need to exercise serving hearts, humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, God does not want his pastors lording it over the flock, but to be humble servants in how they care for the church. And this is the same thing that he exhorts even the younger men. And why does he do that? I think there's a unique temptation of even when you have pastors or leaders who are leading effectively, it can be easy to just sort of blame, right, the the leadership. And God is also reminding, no, you have to also watch your own heart, right? Because sometimes the issue is not the leadership. The issue is actually what's going on in your own heart and life for how you respond to the authorities in your life. A good example is Moses. Moses is described as one of the most humble men who walked the face of the earth. Very godly man. And yet in his leadership, immediately when he's placed into leadership by the Lord and the Lord chooses him to sort of shepherd the people, 
the people's response is grumbling, complaining, constantly putting Moses to the test. And God is not looking at Moses and going, Moses, it's your fault. No, instead he actually puts the blame on those under Moses. And so, yes, leaders are going to be called to account for how they respond, but then also those who are being led are going to be called in response for how do I respond to the leaders that God places in my life. But it's just a beautiful picture that with, when God gives grace to the humble, that the church is going to be blessed in this. And I love this quote, that smooth relations in the church can be preserved if the entire congregation adorns itself with humility. When believers recognize that they are creatures and sinners, they are less apt to be offended by others. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Pride gets upset when another does not follow our own suggestions. How true can that be? But the beauty of when we're living humbly as followers of Jesus is it builds up the whole church and the whole church is strengthened. So I want to encourage you as a church family, right, is pastors are a gift, right? It's an exhortation for us and the pastors. There's ways we always want to grow, but you need to understand what pastors' responsibilities are for how we shepherd. So one, you can hold us accountable for how we do that, but then also too, to understand what's my response to when I see the pastors exercising what they are to do as Christians. Do I look at that as this is a gift for me, for my spiritual well-being, and for the good of our whole church to be strengthened? And if you're listening to this passage today and you're like, yeah, I don't want to submit to authorities. I don't want to be a member of a church. I don't, I don't want really anything to do with the church. Well, that might be revealing, again, your lostness, right? Jesus says that's our spiritual, natural spiritual condition is we're like sheep all gone astray. Everyone turns to our own way. And Jesus, the kind shepherd, actually became the perfect sacrifice to bring us back to God. He suffered once and for all on the cross for our sins, for those ways that we stray and turn away from God. And he's the type that seeks and saves the lost. And so if you've been living in that lost state, God has the power to bring you back if you would turn from him and believe in Jesus Christ. He's a good shepherd. He'll watch over your souls. And one of the ways he watches over your soul is by you being part of a local church, submitting yourselves to pastors for your spiritual care. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a good and perfect God who cares for us, who provides for us, who leads us, who nurtures us. Lord, who brings us back to you. And Father, as we think about all the ways you're worthy of worship and how you've shown your care for your people, we pray, Lord, then that would influence the way we think about pastors. Lord, these are your under-shepherds that in your infinite wisdom and love have chosen, uh, Lord, to organize and grow your church in this way. And so help us, Lord, to have a right heart and view toward leadership in our life. Help our leaders and pastors. Would you guard us from temptation? Would you help us to consider ways that we can grow to become more Christ-like and how we would reflect your shepherding care to the life of those in our congregation? And Lord, we pray that you would help us to consider ways that we can even take steps of growth this week. I pray for our, our church members that you would help them to respond appropriately to the leaders that you've given them. We've seen so many ways of your faithfulness to our church family. As our church family has responded well to leadership in their life, we've seen the fruit, and not only in their personal lives, but the fruit in our church and the fruit in our community and, and even around the world. And we praise you, God, for your goodness in these ways. Would you be with us this week today as we put these words into practice in our life? In Christ's name, amen.